That was Daniel Lamb leading worship this morning, and I'm Philip. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, glad that you're here. And if I could have, yeah, there we go. A little more light in the room. Uh, woke up to 28 degrees this morning. Was not expecting that. Just was not expecting that at this juncture in um, the thing. So 28 degrees. And when I rolled out of bed, it was cold. Yeah. I know, I know that my house is set on a certain temperature. I, I get that. But there's a difference between waking up at 28 degrees in your house and 51. Right? Just something different about it. I know that it's, I know, I, I get it, I get the math. But nonetheless, it was, it was, just, it was just cold. It was just cold. Um, <clears throat> I have come up with an idea that will revolutionize the van industry. Okay? I've come up with this idea. And this is my idea. Okay? Kids are in the back of the van. You're sitting here. Your wife's over here. You're driving. Right? It's basically limo technology for a van. So if they become too noisy, you just press a button. Ding! Right? And you are separated from your children in the back. They can do anything they want to, and you won't even hear it. And you can, you can put on some good music. You can sing. You can hold your wife's hand. You can just have peaceful moments while your kids are doing whatever they want to do at the back of the van. Doesn't that sound like a great idea? All but the van? What well, well, van? I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea. And if you want to help me develop that, just see me after the service. I just want my name on it. I don't know if I can figure out how to do it, but I can, I can definitely be on the team to help, help do that. Yeah, some of you don't remember, like, okay, great, good, awesome. Well, turn to your Bibles with that in mind to uh, Genesis chapter 18. The first service is on board. And so if I was doing statistics, it's about, 60% is for it, 40, not so much. And I think that's, that's pretty good. That's enough to say we'll make some sort of a profit, right? I've seen people get into office with less. So there is that. There's that. All right, so before we jump into like the text we're reading this morning, I want to give you some background. First of all, Abraham and Lot have parted ways, okay? Uh, Lot's, Lot, his business became too big, Abraham's too big, and so they parted ways. Um, uh, outside army attacked and took Lot off, and Abraham went after him and brought him back. When he brought him back, Lot went back to live in Sodom, okay? So he went back to live in Sodom. At the beginning of this chapter, Abraham has three visitors come to him. Two are angels, and one is Jesus, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh, which blows my little simple mind. Because he's not going to be born until a thousand or so years later in Bethlehem, become flesh, and, but he's already here in the flesh on earth, and he's come to visit Abraham. Psh. I know he's God, but at the same time, do you see what I'm saying? It's just, wow, that's pretty, pretty stellar. So he has three visitors. These three visitors and Abraham have had a meal, and now the meal is over. They've had a discussion, and now the meal is over, and they are leaving um, where Abraham is currently living. So they're leaving Abraham to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And that brings us to verse 16 of chapter 18. And this is what it says. Then the men set out from there and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them and to set them on their way because that was customary. You, you would walk them to the edge of your property. Now, Abraham didn't own anything, but he did have a line. Uh, where he would go and where all his sheep and stuff was. So he went to that line with them. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, 
and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see where they, uh, whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So a couple of things about this is it's kind of strange to me that God came down to, to kind of confirm the outcry that he had heard in his ears. And the reason that it's strange to me is because God is omniscient. Like he, he already knows. He, he already knows everything. And so I, I think that maybe that's more for us than it is for God because I think the decision had already been made that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed. That's why they were there. But he came down anyway, and he says he's coming to see if it's as bad as the outcry is. The second thing about this is the outcry isn't coming from the city, because that would mean believers are in the city. The outcry is coming from the surrounding area and people from the surrounding area. Everybody knows that Sodom and Gomorrah is wicked. Desperately wicked. In fact, everybody knows that they are very, very bad. In fact, um, Abraham believes in the one true God, but the Canaanites have a pagan religion where they sacrifice children. And these Canaanite people thought that Sodom and Gomorrah was bad. So if this level of bad people think that this area is worse than they are, it's pretty daggone bad, right? And so, so it, it's very bad. So what is happening is you have like farmers and, and people in the country over here and they're raising their children and their children, some of their children, I mean, this is a hypothesis, some of their children have moved into Sodom and Gomorrah and their parents aren't liking it too much because they know it's a wicked city. They know the temptations that are there and they're worried about their children because they're not living the way that they were raised. You ever felt that way before? I mean, or knew somebody that felt that way? They're not living the way that they were raised. And so there's an outcry. But it's not only that. When two cities are that wicked, it affects everything around them. So it could have been robberies that were happening in the countryside like people that were just worthless coming out, taking stuff that they shouldn't be taking and taking it back home and there was nothing they could do about it. There could be stuff missing. There could be people dying. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that happens as a result of two cities that are desperately wicked and their impact on the surrounding area because the closer you are to a wicked city, the more you are going to be impacted by that wicked wickedness. And so they, they are outcrying, Lord, do something. We're just tired of the wickedness that's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and that's where they're at. So God is saying, how can I not tell Abraham about what I'm about to do? So he tells him, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what he's telling him. Then Abraham, <clears throat> who hasn't seen Lot more than likely, since he went up to get him. Because Abraham's not going to have anything to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not going to go down there and visit them. Um, he has a, he's sitting in his mind thinking, well, I don't know exactly how Lot is living, but if he's living right, I just want to petition my Lord for something. Okay? And that opens up this particular prayer. Okay? And in verse 22... It says, so the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. I want you to notice that Abraham didn't go to the city to save Lot. He stayed away. That's a, that's a very important point, okay? He didn't go. He could have, but he didn't go. Could have went with the two men and said, Lot, let's go. They're going to destroy this place. He didn't do that. Instead, he's talking to the Lord. And then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? 
Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I... uh, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30. And at this point, I'm I I feel like I'm reading a Dr. Seuss book, right? Green eggs and ham, I will not eat them, Sam I am, you know, and it's just over and over again. But this is the Bible, anyway, nonetheless. 31, he said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So, um, point number one, this whole thing, here it is. Wicked people benefit from the presence of a righteous person. Wicked people benefit from the presence of a righteous person. God is saying, I'm not going to wipe them out if there's 10 righteous people down there. I'm not going to wipe, wipe them out if there's 50. So if you are a person that is righteous in a family that is living wickedly, stay on course, stay righteous, continue to follow Jesus in everything that you, you do because it's impacting their lives in a positive way. Wicked people benefit from the presence of a righteous person. See, your presence is preventing them from going deeper into sin. Your presence is preventing God from judging them for their sin. Your presence is allowing them to have more time to turn back to the Lord. Your presence and the way that you are living is giving them more time to do that. So you stay righteous. You stay with Jesus. You stay following him. You don't back up from that because if one righteous person is still there, he still wants to preserve. That, that is God's heart. And so verse 19, this is verse 19 uh, chapter 19, verse 1, it says this, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my Lord, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Lot cares for these two visitors. At this particular point in time, he, I don't think he really knows that they're angels. He's going to know that they're angels later because sometimes we entertain angels unaware. Even today, according to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, that you could entertain an angel and not know that you did that. But nonetheless, he is entertaining these people and he take, takes them in because he's concerned. He knows how wicked it gets when the sun goes down. And so he's taken them into his house to protect them. So there's something about Lot that, that still has a moral center. And Second Peter says that Lot is a righteous man. He was vexed with the place that he was living, but he was a righteous man. And so he, this righteousness is seen in his ability to take these guys in. You can't stay in the square. I need to protect you. Come to my house. And he made them food and they ate together. Verse four, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house 
Do not miss the fact that it is every single man in the city of all ages. This includes the potential sons-in-law of Lot. They all came. They all came. Verse 5, and they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Just a little bit of my breakfast just came up in my mouth. Yeah. Verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, this is very important to notice. note too. He's very very dedicated to protect two men that he doesn't even know in his house. And he's willing to offer his two daughters out to this mob in order to protect them. And that is twisted. So righteous people living in an area of wickedness can have twisted thinking. Okay? So uh, it continues. Um, Verse 8, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do not... uh, do nothing to these men, for they have come under my roof. By, but they said, stand back. And they said, the fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. So we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were... Uh, at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping from the door. These guys lost their sight. They could not see, but they were still trying to get into Lot's house. That is depravity at a level that I can't even imagine. It is horrific that that occurred. And again, Lot's future son-in-laws are a part of this group. Verse 12, Then the men said to Lot, Have you uh, anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Um, Bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against it its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out, And said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Now, these were people that were just blind. Are Are you tracking with this? They were just blind. Like it didn't dawn on them that that was something that the men inside had done. It didn't dawn on them that that was some type of judgment. It didn't dawn on them at all. Because once you immerse yourself in wickedness, wickedness becomes good and nothing wrong with it. So these, these guys, even though they had been blinded the night before, they knew what had happened. They laugh at their uncle when he says, hey, there's destruction coming. They will not believe him. By the way, that also tells you how much influence Lot's righteousness actually had on that environment. Not that much at all. It also tells you why Abraham won't have anything to do with these two cities. So verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters uh, who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, uh, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out to set him outside of the city. So Lot was just not going to go. Listen, if, if someone told me today that there was a meteor that was going to hit my house, I would move. 
I would not be in my house if, if I knew that there was some type of destruction that was going to happen to me on the way home, like you're going to hit a car going down uh, Farmington Road, I would go down 801 and take I-40 to my house. Like I would try not to be a part of all of that. And here is Lot, he knows destruction is coming and he's just hanging out. He's just hanging out. Something has happened to his mind is what, what has occurred. In verse 17, and they brought them out. Well, verse, uh, uh, sorry, 18. Yeah, verse 17, let's do there. And they brought him out and said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have shown great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And may my life be saved? And he said to them, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, and get this, for I cannot do, I can do nothing till you arrive there. The reason that they could do nothing until they arrived there is not only because it does say that Lot was righteous, but second, Father Abraham is pray, praying for Lot and protection over Lot, and his prayers are being answered. And so that has limited the destruction that could come. He has to go. He has to escape. So verse 23 the sun risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. And then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And there wasn't Facebook for Lot to post saying, I was safe during the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham doesn't know if Lot's out or if he's, he's still in. So verse 29, so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the um, overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters, which is very important as well. He lived in a cave, cave with his two daughters. Now, I have several points from this story this morning. And here's the first one, <clears throat> or the second one, because I already did one. All right. If you are living in a place you shouldn't be living, you are surviving because someone is praying for you. It is not because the sin that you're participating in or the area that you're participating in is not as bad as people has told you it is. Is everybody with me? It's not as bad as people have told you it is because mama or daddy or grandma or grandpa or your pastor or some friends at your church are praying that God would show mercy and grace to you so that you have time to turn back to him. That's why it's not as bad as people have told you it is. And so... If you're living in a place you shouldn't be living, you are surviving because someone is praying for you. It's not because you're getting away with your sinful lifestyle. It's because someone's praying for you and God is honoring that prayer and giving you another chance. Here's the next one. Your environment influences the decisions you make. It does. It influences the decisions you make, your environment. Lot, in this passage of Scripture, his decisions are being influenced by his environment. He has moved his family into a wicked city. He loves his family. And, well, his, 
his decisions are just being influenced by that. He's become twisted. One way that you see that is he offers his two daughters to protect two men he doesn't even know. So his, the wickedness is now twisting the mind of the righteousness because none of us in here are strong enough to live in the middle of sin and it not affect us in some way. The only person that can live in the middle of sin and it not affect him at all is Jesus. And he took all that sin on his shoulders on the cross of Calvary to give you and I forgiveness from our sins. That's what he did. He's the only person that can do it. And even with Jesus in my heart, and he's there, I know he is. And even with the Holy Spirit in my heart, I, Philip Brand, cannot live in the middle of wickedness and not have it affect me in some way. Twist my thinking. And the closer you are to wickedness, the more it twists your thinking and it twists uh, your right sort of thinking. So your environment influences the decision you make. <clears throat> um, Back a few years ago, I, I wish it was just a few, but I'm not going to tell you how many because that makes me feel old. Nicole and I got married, got married. And you know, when you get married, there's showers and you go to these showers and you get some stuff that are duplicates. It's not that we didn't appreciate the stuff that was given to us. We just didn't need three mixers, right? So we lived in Lynchburg, Virginia in an apartment and the, the area was not, we didn't have much money. And so we were living in an area, in an apartment area. Is everybody, I'm not trying to be a, you know, but it, the reality is there was a lot of people that were not like us in that area, okay? And so, so there was stuff happening around. Anyway, so Philip, who is a planner, um, was like, okay, Nicole, we need to take this stuff back tomorrow. And so what we'll do is we'll just load up your car and in the morning, we'll just get right into the car. It'll, it'll save a step. Right? It'll save a step because I'm always thinking, how can we save a step? How can we get out the door? How can we get somewhere, get it done? And so planning ahead, put the stuff in the car. Well, the next morning, guess what? The stuff was no longer in the car. Somebody, somebody or a group of people had broke into it and took our stuff out of there. And that is the moment that we made the decision that we needed to move. Because this, this next statement is akin to this one. Your environment produces the types of decisions you have to make. It does. If you're living in a predominantly wicked area, there are a different set of decisions that you have to make than one that is a nicer neighborhood. I'm not saying wickedness is not in the nicer neighborhood, but I'm saying there's a different set of decisions that go on here than goes on over here. Um, <clears throat> my father-in-law, every other, every other year, and Janet, I have to include her, she wants me to include her. So my father-in-law and mother-in-law take us all to the beach like in the summer, and then get this one house that can fit, fits us all. It's more like a big condo. Anyway, you know how they are. And it's Myrtle Beach. And so we're, we're in this house at Myrtle Beach, and then there's all the other stuff around us. And there, there are some years that there is stuff going on across the street, and police cars come in there that you're like, okay, they better not come in this place. Because at the end of the day, we're going to protect our kids and we're going to protect our family and it's not going to go so well, right, in that particular environment. But you make a different set of decisions. I do not feel that way when I'm at my house in Louisville. I, I just don't feel that way. It, am I ready? Absolutely, I'm ready. But I'm not on alert at night, like listening for every sound. Y'all are looking at, y'all don't do this? Am I crazy? this. I do this because Philip doesn't want to get hurt. And he didn't want anybody in his family to get hurt either. So Philip is on guard. So I'm on guard more at Myrtle Beach because it's a different environment. It's, it's less wholesome than it is over here. And see, your environment produces the types of decisions you have to make. And if you are constantly having to make decisions concerning wickedness and how to react to that wickedness every day over and over and over and over and over again, it's time to move. 
It's time to move. This is why a lot of people live in the country. Davie County, Yakin County, right? And we, and we kind of try to stay out of Forsyth. Because there's places in Forsyth County, I'm not so, I don't feel so safe in Forsyth County. And then you get to Greensboro, and that's a whole nother story. You can go from, I know this is, I know this is on, and I probably shouldn't do this while we're streaming, but you can go from one place in Greensboro that's really nice to a dump, to a place that's really nice to a dump. I mean, it's, it's kind of iffy even in Greensboro. So we move out to the country because we don't want to be a part of that because we know there's a different set of decisions that you have to make on a daily basis. And it's less of the, I have to protect myself decisions. It's more of more wholesome decisions. And so your environment produces the types of decisions you have to make. I'm going to take this one step further. This is the same in your house. And if you have wickedness going on in your house, it doesn't matter if you live in Forsyth County, Davie County, Yakin County, it's in your house and that wickedness needs to go. Because the more you entertain wickedness in your house, the more decisions that you have to make according to that wickedness. It needs to go. And make your house a place where most of the decisions isn't about wickedness, it's about life and connecting with your family and Jesus and the Bible and good things. Make it a good house, not a bad house. And there's some people that really need to get rid of some stuff in their homes, some attitudes, some paraphernalia. Yeah. I'm not going to define paraphernalia. But don't Google it, because that's not what I'm talking about. Next. <clears throat> you may think that your prayers are not making a difference concerning the loved one who has veered off the tracks, but they are making a difference. You know, we all have loved ones that, that have veered off the tracks. I have, I have some family members veered off the tracks. I pray for them. I take the stance of Abraham I'm not going over to their house. I'm not going to visit them. I'm not going to do any of that. If they show up at a funeral, that's great. I'll, I'll say hello. I'll shake their hand. I'll do things like that. But I still pray for them. And I pray that God would give them the ability to choose him instead of the life that they are currently living. And I pray for them often. And so sometimes because people don't change, we think our prayers are not effective and they're not being answered and they're not doing anything, but they are doing something. You see, I can pray for my family member to turn and for God to be involved in that process. They have to choose to change. But my prayer is that God will send things their way, prolong their life, allow them every chance that they could possibly have to turn back to him. And God does that. And that is why they are still alive today. That is why they're still living in, the, in a quality of life that they're living in. It could be worse, right? Could always be worse. But never think that your prayers aren't being uh, answered just because that person isn't turning back to Jesus. God is taking your prayers seriously and he's giving more time to your loved one so that they can turn back to him. But that loved one has to make the choice to do it. God will only go so far. He does not make people choose him. Next. Never quit loving your family. Never. Abraham did not quit loving Lot, even though he has assumed that Lot is not living the way that he should live. He never quit loving him. So you and I never quit loving our family members, even when they're not living the way that they're supposed to live. That prompts you to pray for them earnestly. That's what that does. Here's the next one. This is all from this story, by the way. No one plans to mess up their life. The problem is they didn't plan not to. No one ever plans to mess up their life. The problem is they didn't plan not to. They don't plan not to. Good people, good people mess up their lives because of their choices. 
good people mess up their lives. And part of the reason that they mess up their lives is because of this thing I like to call the line. They don't have one. They don't have one. I, not saying I'm better than everybody else, but I have a line and then that's different. Well, well, let me say this. I like to think in terms of guardrails. So there's a guardrail that's over the cliff so you don't fall into it, right? And then from that guardrail, I like to make a line like right here so I don't get close enough to the guardrail to accidentally fall over into it. Have you ever been to the zoo? Have you seen those kids climbing on the fences that says, do not climb? Have you heard about the stories where kids have fallen into the area and then the parents blame the zoo and not their parenting? Yeah. So if you picture that, a lot of Christians live like climbing on the fence and when they fall and get hurt, they blame everybody but themselves. And so some people live just too close to the line. They're across the guardrail. And I like to think in terms of guardrail and a line, okay? Um, Someone has said that sin is fun until it isn't. Sin is fun until it isn't. Now, if you don't think it's fun, there's only two options. One You're lying. You are lying. Or two, you didn't do it right. (laughs) You didn't do it right. You messed up somehow, you know? And it's fun until it isn't. Like, sin is fun. And temptation comes at you to sin. And you know it's fun. You see people having fun but it's fun until it isn't. And people have three kind of approaches to temptation. Um, One is let's fight temptation. You know, you fight it, you fight, you try not to do it. Um, The other one is you give into it, and that means you've fallen into sin. And and the third is you, you live close to it, but you don't try, you don't get involved, and that's what Lot's doing. He's living close to the line, but he's trying not to get involved. That those are the three responses to temptation. I'm I'm this close to it. Did you ever have the kid that you told him not to touch something and they did that? Yeah, that was me as a kid. Except for I waited until my parents wasn't looking and then I touched it while they weren't there. I, I wasn't strong enough to dad. Because my dad had, had what was called a belt. <clears throat> and I wasn't into that. Philip was not into pain. So, you know, you, you kind of live close enough to touch it. I'm, I submit to you this morning that there is another way that we need to fight sin and temptation. And here it is. Avoid it. Don't fight it. Right? Don't, don't um, live close to it. Definitely don't fall into it. You need to avoid it. But that takes a predecision on your part. It takes a decision that says, okay, I know the sins that easily get me. Um, here's the guardrail to where I get to before I fall over. I'm going to set this guardrail up, and then I'm going to come back here, and I'm going to make a line that's far, a little bit away from the guardrail, so that even if I step over the line, I can catch myself and step back over it, and, and there's no damage that happens. I'm going to give you a couple of, of some that I do. Um, Wednesday morning at 8.30, uh, I, I got the opportunity to meet with um, some county and state representatives about a sewage system here on this property. Because for some reason, since October, God has wanted me to get acquainted with the people that work with sewage in our county, in our, in our state government, for some reason. <clears throat> so here's another meeting, okay? So it was at 8.30, and I pull into the parking lot. And when I pull in, there is, in, in, I'm, not that I wasn't honest before, but just to show you, there's this cute little girl sitting in a, sitting in a Jeep right over here in our parking lot. And so I pull my car in, and there she is, and 
she's probably Aurora's age. You know, she has on her little cap and, and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, nonetheless, there she is. And so when I pulled into my parking uh, space, I immediately texted Nicole and said, um, look, there, I'm supposed to meet these people. They're, they are late, and there's this little girl here that's sitting in a Jeep, and I just want you to know that I'm here with her. But I'm st- and She knows I'm staying in my car. She knows all of that. But I text her that that girl is in the parking lot, and nobody else is here. In about three minutes, one of the government people come in because they can't be on time. So they come in. You know, I wanted them to be on time. Brian, I wanted them to be on time, but they weren't on time. They come in, and as soon as they're here, I text Nicole to say, someone has arrived. There are some of my friends that think that I'm crazy for doing that. But I'll tell you this, it keeps me from getting to the guardrail. And my wife trusts me, and the reason she trusts me is because I send her texts when I'm in situations like that. Would she trust me without that? I really don't want to know the answer to that question. I really don't want to know the answer to that question. I will do that because it is a line. It is a line that I have. This church, when the staff is working here, um, a guy and a girl cannot be here alone. It is, it is just a rule that we have here. So Katie knows. Um, Seth knows in the back. We, we jump through hoops in order to make sure that there's either two guys, one girl, or two girls, one guy. We, we jump through hoops to make sure that that happens because the guardrail is here, but we need the line here. Now, let me just tell you, tell you something, okay? And I don't mean that any of the staff people are not pretty. I'm just not attracted to them. I'm just not attracted to them. You know, I'm just not. And Katie, I've known since high school. I've known her since high school. Ashley is absolutely brilliant. Love her, love her husband. And Emily is, is amazing. And Robin was incredible too. They're all incredible ladies. I'm just not attracted to them. So here's why I'm saying this. The temptation is to take this line and because I have no attraction, just kind of live close to the guardrail anyway because I'm not attracted. So obviously nothing's gonna happen. No, no, no. The guardrail is here. I'm going to keep my line because the more you keep the line and it becomes a habit in your life and you keep it with the good people, you're going to keep it with the bad people. There are some people that are Christians that have a struggle with alcohol and they live right up next to the line and they wonder why they keep falling and falling and falling and falling. They will say stuff like, I really fight this temptation. I really fight this temptation. I really fight this temptation. My message to those people that are addicted to something, quit fighting the temptation. Set up the guardrail. Figure out the line that enables you not to get to the guardrail so that you can give up on that addiction and get some freedom from it. Right? Right, ladies and gentlemen? Hey, you don't live close to the line so you can touch it, you know, and I'm strong enough, I'm strong enough, I'm strong enough. You don't do that. You step over the guardrail, you put the line here, and it might look ridiculous to your friends, it might look ridiculous to your family, but it doesn't look ridiculous to God, your Savior. You see, wickedness and sin takes from you. It takes from you. When you get close to Jesus and you're walking with him, he gives to you. He gives you grace. He gives you mercy. He gives you blessing. He gives you life. He's constantly giving to you. Wickedness and sin is constantly taking. In fact, there's never a moment that wickedness hasn't taken from you, that sin hasn't taken from you. I have never sinned, and after I did it, sat back and say, wow, I gained a lot from that sin. Woo, I'm living now, yeah. Man, that wickedness, that sinfulness really gave me a lot this time. 
Yeah, I can still feel it. It's still given to me. It's absolutely incredible. There's never been a time that you've sinned that it didn't take from you. It always takes. Jesus always gives. Why on earth don't we just decide to live closer to Jesus and be done with it? Set up our line. In fact, if you're living close to Jesus, you will never get to your line. You've got it set up. You've made a predecision not to cross over it, but you'll never get to your line because you're walking with him and he's constantly giving to you. Yeah. Quit living close to the line because people that live close to the line, man, you get damaged. Here's the next one. If you're not living the way God wants you to live, you're losing more than you are gaining. If you're not living the way God wants you to live, you are losing more than you are gaining. It's true every time. And you're losing things that you don't even realize that you're losing at all. Um, there, there are some people that are losing their family because of the sin and the wickedness that they're involved in. They're losing them. Lot, for instance, lost everything. If you remember back in our story when I was doing the the, uh, historical portion of it, Lot had a estate that was a rival to Abraham's. He was huge. Lots of money, lots of cattle, servants working for him. They uh, They couldn't stay in the same land. And then Lot chooses to go to Sodom and Gomorrah area. And before too long, he no longer has his estate. He no longer has his money. He no longer has his servants. And he's living in a little apartment in Sodom with his wife and his two daughters. That's it. It's not a big place. It's just a place in Sodom. And he's just living there. He has lost it all. And then these guys come in and they're going to destroy it. And so Lot has to flee Sodom. And so now he loses his house. And at the end of the story, Lot is living in a cave. Cave. He's living in a cave. Because when you live close to wickedness, it takes from you even if you're trying to live righteously. It takes from you. And it reduces your blessings. It reduces who you could be for God. It reduces you to where you're little and you begin to lose things that you did not dream that you would lose. Lot lost his wife. We always focus on like that she turned back and they were told not to turn back and she, you know, she turned back and turned into salt. Um, Have you ever thought that Lot is now a widow and he lost his wife and the grief that he had to go through when he's in the cave? In fact, if you read the story, um, he turned to alcohol for that grief because he's trying to get over it. So he, he has lost everything. If you're not living the way God wants you to live, you're losing more than you're gaining. And you may even be losing your family. Look, you can take anything that I have. Whatever I have, I don't care. You can take it. Don't take my family. It's the most valuable thing that I have. I don't want you to take my family. I don't want you to mess with my family. I want my family together. And so he's losing his family. And when you live close to wickedness, when you're involved in wickedness, it is taking your family from you. But when you're living with Jesus, you're a part of a bigger family and you don't lose your other family members. And that is awesome. Absolutely incredible. Here's the last one. If you're living close to the line, you're losing more than you're gaining. Next, if God saved you out of something, don't look back with desire at it, for it will take your life if you do. It's kind of adjacent to everything that I'm, I've been saying, but it still, still connects. Lot's wife still had the desire to be back in Sodom because Sodom had her heart and God didn't. So she's leaving and she looks back and she turns to salt. And there are things that you and I, that God has saved us out of, 
that we need to hit the road and never look back upon with desire. It should be a part of our testimony. Absolutely, it should be a part of our testimony. God saved me from that. But the moment that we look back with desire to go back is the moment that you and I will lose our life in any progress that we have made. So we'll wrap it up with this. We'll wrap it up with this. Um, this sermon was called Hit the Road, and there's some of us that just need to hit the road this morning. Some of us that need to hit the road. Some of us need, possibly need to make the decision that we're no longer going to live. We are no longer going to live in sin any longer. The amazing thing is that we serve a God of grace and mercy. God showed grace and mercy to Lot even in his sinful condition. Even when he wasn't living, even when he was living too close to the wickedness, God showed love and mercy to Lot. And he saved him. He saved him from that. And just because you're tied up in wickedness, just because you are living too close to it, just because there's some things that aren't right in your life, but they, they need to be right, doesn't mean that God will not take you back because he will. He will because he is gracious and he is merciful and he is waiting for you. He is waiting for you to quit living close. He's waiting for you to get over the guardrail. He's waiting for you to make that line. He's waiting for you to come right beside him and say, I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. And he welcomes us back with open arms. No questions asked because he is a gracious and merciful God. So if there's things that you're struggling with, this is the moment that you need to fall into the arms of a loving Savior. If there's wickedness that you're living in that you know that you need to change your mind and do something differently and follow Jesus, Jesus is waiting on you to fall into his arms. He's waiting to accept you back. He always has been, always has been, because you are valuable to him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that in this moment that you work, you touch our hearts, and um, you help people make the decisions that they need to make. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. The altar is open for you this morning if you need it.